E-N. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by the Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Another interesting day in the trade. Really nice to see some green on the screen going on, but there's a lot of fingers in this pot, especially when we look at the grain complex and what is happening. We've got some rains that came into South America, into the areas that need it. That's had an effect, though, on our bean trade. But the Safrina corn crop and some dry weather as we push towards the month of February. What does that mean for this crop? Is there some nervousness happening with it? The inflationary story is back in the picture again. Wheat market saw some selling momentum, the higher grain numbers that we talked about, but add to it what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. So much to discuss today, and we're going to hit it all today as we invite Arlen Suderman to join us. He is with StoneX. And Arlen, let's start out with the, the rains in South America, and obviously some hit and miss in some areas, but still dry areas receiving some precipitation, and that's had an effect on our trade. Yeah, it really has, and those rains continue this week. So far, what we've seen is about two-thirds of Argentina's soybean belt, and, and that's similar, not totally the same, but similar to their corn belt. Two-thirds have had an inch or more. Fifteen percent have had two inches or more, and there's more rains coming throughout the the days ahead. And, and then the models tend to revert back toward dry as we get toward February once again. And so that's one of the keys that we're going to have to watch. February is really the critical month for Argentine crops. Um, and for corn, for soybeans, uh, that is a big month, February into March. And if you look at the analog years, it certainly leans dry. If you look at some of the long-term models reaching out that far, uh, while they're not all in agreement, there's about a fourth of them that are wet for Argentina and three-fourths that are dry. On the analogs, a third are wet, two-thirds are dry. So there is a chance that this is will just continue wet like this, but the odds would suggest we're going to go back dry again. So for South America, it's rains now, drying out again later is the current thinking. So looking at that, and you talk about that drying out later, the Safrina corn crop, is there some nervousness amongst this crop before it goes in the ground? Well, I think there's always a little bit of nervousness. The one thing that we do see is they'll probably get it planted on time this year versus last year. One of the reasons, you know, they had the really short Safrina corn crop last year, and it was a twofold reason. It got in late. So that was going to push their pollination into the dry season anyway, and then it was abnormally dry, even drier than normal in many of the areas. So that was a, a double whammy hit on their corn crop. This year it looks like it's at least going to be planted in a timely manner. So what about rainfall? In the key months there would be March and April for for their Safrina crop. If you look at the models and the forecast, you can probably find about half of them going dry and half of them going wet. One of the concerns, I think, for those that lean toward the drier side is that the way the atmosphere is currently set up and sea surface temperatures, etc., is that we could see an early end to the rainy season. And typically the race is always to get corn pollinated before the rainy season ends. And so that's going to be the challenge. It does not look like a setup like last year uh, where we had the massive losses, but we could see yields pared back somewhat. The other factor that could come into play is we're 
hearing from producers in Brazil that they'll be paring back their fertilizer applications this year because of high prices. To what extent still seems to vary a lot and is difficult to nail down yet at this point. Um, but that also raises some production risk going forward in a time when basically global corn stocks are rather snug uh, for the bulk of the world outside of China and the United States. As we look back here at the U.S., what is your thoughts on this wheat market? I mean, we've had some struggles with the dry weather, and you did talk a little bit about some selling momentum and some buyers catching up. Yeah, we've really pounded the wheat market of, um, prior to this week and uh, took a tremendous amount of premium off of it. And it, it became large. It started off with we'd priced ourselves out of the market, and so prices were pulling back trying to find demand. But then we did some significant chart damage, and it became more of a technical selling with the computers that sell those indicators just really piling on. Well, end users who had enough coverage for the near term, we're just standing by and waiting and letting prices come to them. And speculators, well, while they may have wanted to buy, no one wants to catch a falling knife, as they say, in the market in markets. And so they were standing back and allowing prices to, to come down as well until they, you know, watching for when that selling may start to dry up. Well, that's happened this week. There's a couple of reasons for it, some of them weather-related, and, and the rest of it being related to what we're seeing happen in the Black Sea. As you know, Russia and Ukraine are both major exporters. In fact, outside the European group of nations, Russia is the largest one single country in the world for exporting wheat, and Ukraine's not far behind it. Um, between the two countries, well, they'll export over 60 million metric tons, and that's almost three times what we export here in the United States. So it's a significant amount of wheat. Ukraine is also a major exporter of corn as well. And Secretary of State and Antony Blinken stated today while in Kiev, Ukraine, uh, basically said that uh, an invasion by Russia may be imminent. And that got the markets excited this week and uh, putting some risk premium back into the market on the risk that Russia might and that might shut off export trade from the Black Sea region. All right, we're going to talk more about that and if it's going to make the markets here in the States a little nervous. More is coming up. We'll continue with the second half of the Fontenelle Final Bell. We're going to talk about the inflationary story. It is back. And if you missed the tweet from Arlen, I'm going to flip the screen here. He talked about Chinese demand for beef. He's got a great chart on that. We'll talk more on that. Stick around. It is the Wednesday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. Here is another Fontenelle feature. I'm Joe Gangwish with Fontenelle Hybrids featuring another dealer for our network. We're going to visit with Terry Kachera from Bassett, Nebraska. And Terry, tell us a little bit about your dealership and working for Fontenelle. Well, Joe, I've been a dealer for Fontenelle since 1972. During my career as a seed dealer and farmer in Nebraska, I've seen a lot of change. As genetics and technology progress through the years and decades, Fontenelle has always been as progressive as any seed company that I've ever been around. Terry, any advice that you've learned through all these years of dealing with Fontenelle? I've always said uh, in farming, you're always going to make mistakes. You know, in most mistakes, you just can't help. You know, it's the weather or machine breakdown or pivot blows over or something like that. Uh, hybrid selection really isn't one that you should have to worry about. And Fontenelle always stands well, always yields well, and is fairly priced. 
That's Terry Kuchera from Bassett, Nebraska. To learn more about products or to become a dealer, just go to fontanelle.rvm. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman. Now, he is with StoneX, and before we went to break, we were talking about Russia and Ukraine and what's been happening with the tensions there. So in a nutshell, should there be some nervousness from our grain and livestock perspective as they look at these tensions continuing to build? Yeah, I think there should be, um, because it is, it is a significant contributor to the world trade, especially for wheat, but also for corn right now. Um, you know, when we had the high prices 15 years ago, the market was trying to bring more ground into production, and much of that ground it brought into production is in the Black Sea, and that region has really invested in its infrastructure to be major exporters. It all comes through the Black Sea from both Russia and Ukraine, and Russia has been flexing their muscles once again um, back in 2014 they took you Ukra- uh, excuse me Crimea away from Ukraine and uh, they did so kind of claiming that some of that region had uh, people who really wanted to be part of Russia and they declared them kind of independent and then they fe- said they had to go in there to protect them from Ukraine so to speak and we've had a couple of uh, some legislators in Russia now starting that move to declare some areas of eastern Ukraine as independent and needing protection um, from uh, enemy forces which of course in their mind means Ukraine so they're kind of setting that stage work to being as an excuse. They've also asked about 50 family members of um, embassy staff, etc., that are in Ukraine, in Kiev, etc., to return home. And so that's raised fears that Russia may be about to move into Ukraine. So there's a number of different indicators, and uh, as I said before, Secretary of State Antony Blinken made the comment that it could be imminent. Um, so if, in fact, a military event were to shut down trade out of the Black Sea, and, and that's still an unknown, but as we talk about possibilities that could dramatically impact the markets, that would shut off a tremendous amount of wheat and corn from the world market. And so the markets would be expected to react, maybe not immediately because the first response oftentimes is fear, and fear tends to move money to the sideline, but I think very quickly commodity traders recognize that, and I think that's been a good part of this week's strength as well. So it's something we certainly have to keep our eyes on. And and as we came into this year, I saw it as one of the potential black swans for 2022 that we do need to be watching. Looking at uh, the inflationary story, it is once back in the markets. How's that going to compare with what we see in our grain and livestock? Well, inflation uh, is a risk to investments, and right now we're looking at inflation at 40-year highs and yields on treasuries at 40, just above 40-year lows. And so anybody who's buying the securities markets are basically locking in negative returns. Um, and so what do the funds want to do then? They want to put their money where they can feel like they're going to be get a hedge against that inflation risk in their portfolios. To some extent, they would use the equities to do that, but the equities have come upon some hard times of late as well, uh, with, in fact, the tech sector looking at roughly about a 10% correction at this point, we're seeing, depending on how we close out today. Um, so that makes the ags even more 
um, enviable or attractive as a hedge against inflation and, and even the energy markets. All of that's related to what we do in agriculture. And uh, more money coming in doesn't guarantee that we can't have sell-offs or where any particular asset's going to be, but it does tend to raise the tide, to raise the level at which the market manages supply and demand for these commodities. So what is your thoughts on China and this cattle market? You had a great graph that was available on, on your Twitter page talking about it. Yeah, prior to uh, African swine fever, most of the beef that was being consumed in China came from Australia and New Zealand and basically was grass-fed beef. Um, and, and we didn't see a lot of U.S. grain-fed beef going to China. But during the shortage of meat that ensued because of African swine fever dramatically cutting pork supplies, um, they really Chinese people really expanded their diet to include a lot, a lot of different alternative protein sources, including U.S. grass-fed beef. And they like it. It's more of a specialty meat and more of a high-end meat right now in China. Um, but the demand is really growing. And we're looking at total Chinese imports right now uh, for 2021, a little over 2.3 million metric tons. Um, so while that's not huge at this point, it is significant. And just over the last five years, that's up about 1.8 million metric tons. So um, several fold increase in, in imports, and they've very quietly become, um, the. I think it's the number three importer of U.S. beef right now. All right, sounds good, Arlen. What is the best way for folks to get a hold of you? StoneX.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss. They're not suitable for all investors. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.